Charisma Quotient. I'm your host, Kim Seltzer, a dating and makeover expert, where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. Our relationship with money and love are so deeply intertwined. And, you know, I always tell my clients, what shows up in one area of your life usually leaks into others. There was this woman I worked with who really exemplified what we're going to talk about today. And she, when, you know, she first called me up, I could tell she had a complete scarcity mindset. And it really showed up in every single area of her life, her financial situation, her dating life, and yes, even her wardrobe, okay? When she came to me, she was in constant fear. And she said that she was just scared of losing money and men, and she was holding on to things so tightly. So like when she would go shopping, she would shop for the bargain. She would go shopping at Kohl's, not that there's anything wrong with it, but here was the problem. The clothes didn't fit her and it, it, they didn't make her stand out. In fact, she told me that a lot of her cheap clothes just remained hanging in her closet unworn and she remained camouflaged from the world. And that was more the problem than anything else. It was what she thought she was worth. And that was something that you know, was with lesser than what she really was. She was also highly intelligent. She had a great job. And the problem, again, was that she didn't speak up at work. She didn't have a voice, even though she knew more than her coworkers and she was even qualified for a higher position. But again, was so fearful that if she spoke up, there wouldn't be a job. And then there was with the men, okay? She would fall into these unhealthy relationships with any guy, and I mean any guy who would like her. So she thought that she couldn't get many dates, and so a guy would end up asking her out, and boom, she was right into the relationship. And she really thought that other guys wouldn't like her and that she was too old or that she wasn't good enough. So on my first phone call with her, she told me she hated dating. She just wanted to skip dating, get to the relationship, but she was sick of attracting these unhealthy patterns in her life. And she told me that she felt like dating was like being in a jungle. And I said to her, well, that's your first problem. The fact that you see dating as a jungle is the problem. I mean, think about it. Jungles are scary, right? <laughs> they have lions, they have tigers, they have bears, it's dark. It, I said to her, what if you thought of dating as a playground instead? Knowing that you would have fun with an abundance of men to play with and that you get to choose whoever you play with. And all of a sudden, she fell silent on the other line. And I honestly, I actually thought she hung up. But instead, this woman who was hanging on to money so tightly ended up giving me her credit card to work with me. And that was the first investment she made towards living a life of abundance. And from there, I mean, her life soared. We went shopping. I banned her from the thrift stores and Kohl's. And I held her hand as we walked through Bloomingdale's and Saks. And she walked out looking like a million bucks. But more importantly, she felt like it. Her confidence 
soared from that moment on. Her new found look, her energy, it's because she started owning it is why she started attracting so much in her life. And with that, we walked into the streets. And of course, you guys know me by now. I taught her how to flirt and conduct a proactive approach to dating rather than a reactive. And let me tell you, I think I created a monster because she started attracting men everywhere she went. And for the first time in her life, she was choosing who she wanted to date. And at work, and I swear to God, this is a true story, she began, you know, finding her voice. I was teaching her how to speak up and set boundaries, and people started noticing her more. And bam, she was asked to move into a leadership role. Because what shows up in one area of your life leaks into others. Because you see, it wasn't that there wasn't enough money or men. She had to believe that she deserved it. And that's where it all started. And of course, being the therapist that I am, we kind of went back in time and figured out where it came from. And, and, and literally, we had to reprogram that. It was all tied into her feelings of self-worth, confidence, and getting out of her own way to create an abundant mentality versus one of scarcity. And today on the show, I am so excited because I have this amazing guest who knows exactly how to attract abundance and create change in his life. Check it out. He is the author of The Freedom Manifesto, and he is one of the most sought-after speakers and thought leaders on lifestyle freedom in the world. He specializes in creating extremely profitable cash flow streams in businesses, and here's the key, without compromising lifestyle. He's an entrepreneur, founder of Capitalism.com, and host of Freedom Fast Lane podcast. But more importantly, he has this really touching story. I'm actually going to have him tell it and how he really got into all of this and got out of his situation and his own way. Um, and after he was young, he went to Indiana Wesleyan University, and he started this small internet business from his dorm room just to pay his tuition. And from there now, he inspires people all over the world to live out their dream. His motto is, live life to the fullest. And he certainly lives up to the challenge. Welcome, Ryan Moran. Kim, thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked uh to be with you. I'm so stoked, but more importantly, I love you already because not only are you another fellow Midwesterner, I'm from Chicago, by the way, but did you know I'm a Hoosier too? I went to IU. I did not. That's great. You yeah. went to IU. I almost married a girl that went to IU. So You, you see that? But who <laughs> did you marry? You did marry. I'm, I'm unmarried. Your female audience might be curious to hear. So one of the ways they could attract wow. abundance in their life is they could follow me on Instagram and send me DMs at Ryan Daniel Moran. Oh my God. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. See how we're diving in already. I love it. <laughs> no, because I did want you to tell your story. I think it's really inspiring because we all have, you know, I always say adversities are gifts in disguise and it's not until you're through it and you look back and you're like, oh yeah, there's the oh, gift. Yeah. That's what drove me. Right. Oh yeah. So please share. You know, it's funny. One of my, one of my mentors, Dan Sullivan will say, how many, you know, how many people can point back to their lives and say, it took a period of courage in order to really get me to where I am today. And, you know, mm -hmm. all the hands go up. We all can think of that, like a time of, a, of challenge where, 
we can point to it now and say, I'm so glad that I went through that. And then he asks a follow-up question, how many of you are organizing your lives so that you never have to go through a period of courage ever again? And all the hands stay up, oh. right? <laughs> but how, how true is that we resist those challenges in the future, but they're the ones that ultimately shape us into who we are? And for me, I, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and my mom used to love to drive around the neighborhoods and look at the big houses. And she would say, Ryan, this is how the other half lived. And I always kind of grew up listening to this idea that there was like a, 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 somebody different than me who had all this ease and money in big houses. So I was kind of ingrained with this, uh, this mindset of, there's us and there's them, there's our way of life and there's this way of life. How cool would it be to be one of them? And so there was a curiosity, but also a bit of a separation between the, the haves and the have-nots in my brain. And I think that's common among most of the world. And one day when I was about 14 or 15 years old, I heard my mom come into my bedroom crying because I had broken the washing machine. And there was this sense of panic in her voice. And it was a little puzzling because it was about a $50 repair. And what I kind of understood from the situation was my mom was not all that upset about the $50 repair. She was upset about another financial setback, another, mm. a, another thing that just put her in a deficit for the month. And my mom was a, she was a single mom from the time I was 10 or so on and worked so hard to play multiple roles. It's only now that I understand how hard that was for her. And looking back on it, I realized there really was panic and frustration, angst in her voice from just having another month in which she had a setback. And so I just decided in that moment that I didn't want to have to suffer as a result of broken washing machines. Mm. And what happened next was I worked at Dunkin' Donuts at the time. Uh, you know, I basically served up ice cream and, and donuts at my Baskin Robbins Dunkin' Donuts shop in Parma, Ohio. And... I was kind of telling this story to a person who was a regular patron there. Uh, his name was Eric. I don't remember his last name, but his name was Eric. And he gave me a book and it was called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And mm -hmm. all I learned from Rich Dad, Poor Dad was that if you spend your life acquiring cash producing assets, that one sentence was how you became rich. And that set the course for my entrepreneurial journey. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Now that it, so, okay. And obviously like when things happen, that's what motivates you usually to like do something, right? Like sometimes people are self-motivated and they just, you know, do something and it's not like anything really happened, but in a lot of cases, usually it's something like that, you know, that happens. But like, what was your mindset that got you prepared to really move out of that where there wasn't that separation like you were describing and how your mom was saying, where you, you said, I want to become one of them, you know, and, and join that. Yeah. Let, let, I'm going to make this super micro if that's okay. Yeah. If, if, if we think about, well, like we, we like to talk in fancy languages like abundance mindset, scarcity mindset, and I use them too, but if we break them down into what they actually are, our brains just recognize patterns. It's all pattern recognition. So that's right. 
our brains are referencing things that have happened in the past and we tend to cast them into the future. Uh, uh, somebody, um, I, I hold regular brunches at my home just to meet new people and to keep up with friends every Sunday. And someone was at my home recently and they said, hey, I heard a, liter a, a cool limerick I'd love to tell you guys. Where does the past live? Like, ah. uh, I don't, I don't know. And they're like, the past lives in the future and we make our decisions in the present about, about what our understanding is of the past. That's and right. Basically what he was arguing was the past is what we carry forward and project into the future. And we make decisions based on what we think the future will be, which is referenced by our past, which really mind warped me. But what we're ultimately doing, whether, you know, whatever mindset you call it, mm -hmm. we really have a set of experiences that we've identified with and we cast that into the future and we make decisions based on what we think it is, is going to be. Mm -hmm. So if we have a reference point of money is always tight or that all the good ones are taken, yep. then then the result is we're going to operate with that framework, cast that into the future and make our decisions in the present based on that understanding of reality. Now, our experiences are completely unique to us and our brain is wired, thank goodness, to help us survive based on past experiences. But it doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean it's not true. It just means it's the set of experiences that we've had. That's right. So the yep. way that we... I'm using quotation marks with my hands right now. The way we fix Air that, quotes. although I don't think anything needs to be fixed per se, the, the way that we change that is that we experience new things. And that's why it's difficult to change because the brain has never had to go in and create those experiences. So we have to either manufacture them or put ourselves into situations in which the brain can synthesize a new experience. And that can be as simple as on the financial side, it could be as simple as driving around the neighborhood looking at the big houses. Or it can be going into the Rolex shop and putting one on. Or it could be looking at a list of houses that are way out of our current price range and saying, what would it take? It, it could be as simple as asking different questions, ways to get new neurons to fire to create new experiences. And when we do that, our brains are normalizing machines. Our brains will normalize things very quickly. It's, it, is, it is biologically wired to do that. If, I mean, we are, we're rewarded by a chemical called dopamine, yep. which indicates that there's an increased chance of survival. And as soon as we get that dopamine kick, it goes away and the brain now requires a different level of exposure in order to get that dopamine kick again. So all that to say, we literally are normalizing our lives constantly. If, if we were to go to a different country and be in a, a place where we didn't speak the language, didn't understand the culture, there would be shock right away. But Within a couple of months, your brain would normalize that and it would no longer feel weird. That's what the brain does. So the way we undo a mindset we don't want to be held back by or the way that we change a habit that we no longer want to be controlled by 
is by putting ourselves in a situation that gives us a different reference point or a different set of experiences, and the brain will biologically rewire itself in order to have a new understanding. And then we can make different decisions based on those set of experiences. I so love this. You are so speaking my language, you don't even realize it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. No, seriously, I just had talked about stuff like this. And I mean, just to kind of highlight what you're saying, using the example that I talked about in the beginning of this show with that woman, what I didn't say is that this woman kept attracting alcoholic men. Okay. Her dad was alcoholic. And so her brain was trying to, and and I even told her this, was trying to almost create a corrective experience, Mm. right? In order, so she was picking the same guy over and over again in order to see if there was a different outcome. Mm. But of course, as, as we know, it never did. And so it was this maddening, almost like Groundhog Day effect that just kept, it was the same show over and over and over again. So we literally had to do a pattern disruption like you were talking about and having her date men that almost felt foreign to her, ones that actually treated her well, that didn't need to be fixed. But it took a while. And that's why I had to start with even just how she showed up and the way she dressed, because it did, I think, you know, and I've done a lot of studies on this too, even the clothes you wear shifts the brain. There's something called enclosed cognition so that you have a different performance when you're wearing something different. That's why Halloween, everyone acts so different, right? (laughs) Because they have a different costume on. So I had to put a different costume on her for her to see herself differently, to own that. So I love what you just said because it really highlights, I feel, like how we can recreate new patterns in our life. So that is awesome, awesome piece of advice. Well, to add to that, Kim, I I probably know less about the brain than you, but so I'd like to hear you confirm this. I have uh, been told and believe Mm -hmm. that there's a two-way relationship between our our thoughts and our behaviors, meaning Mm -hmm. our thoughts will impact our behaviors, but also our behaviors impact our thoughts. So if we wanted to rewire our thought patterns, we could just act differently, put on different clothes, be around different people, and it would go through that two-way relationship of then impacting our thoughts, which then increase be, or influence the behavior as well. That, that yes. so many people work on their thoughts or, or they think about their beliefs, but in reality, the brain will follow action. And so yes. that two-way relationship creates a compounding effect. I, no, absolutely. And I, and I know this to be true, especially when I like work with people on their body language, like even mm. the way that you stand, the way that you kind of walk through life. I think, you know who Amy Cudi is? I think that's how she says it. She did this I TED do. talk. Oh my God. So she, she did studies on this and she, she also determined that like, even though if you're not confident, if you do a confident stance, you act as if, right? you will become. I mean, I think there's just a reality to that. And so I do think it works both ways. I think that's why I'm so hopeful when I work with people, even though that they've had this like bad pattern in their life, as you're talking about, or scarcity or, you know, whatever you want to call it. I get so excited because I know that people can change, can create new habits, but it takes work and it takes accountability and an openness to shift that, but it can happen. So yeah, I totally agree with you. 
Yeah, and, and it's, it's just it, the, the impetus for change is usually, usually comes from pain, right? That, that exactly, yeah. there's usually some sort of a negative event that has to push us into that. I wonder sometimes if we can initiate change without going through a, a painful experience. And it, it rubs, rubs me back to what we began talking about where those challenges that end up forming us that lead us to different patterns or different conclusions are ultimately what gave us meaning or what, what formed us into who we became. And if there is a way to get to a, a super happy place without going through a lot of dark times, I'm yet to find it because I think that we end up looking for those new patterns, looking for those new opportunities as a result of wanting to avoid pain. And so um, the fact that we are talking about creating new patterns is almost a reflection of the fact that we've gone through experiences or patterns that we wish not to duplicate, we wish not to experience again. And so mm -hmm. as a result, every time I'm going through a change or a challenge, I just remember it's, it's this moment that is going to ultimately lead me to a direction where I'm finding the solutions and creating the experiences that I want to have. So you are reminding me of that. Um, and I appreciate it. Oh my God. Yeah, no. And you're reminding me of that. Cause I mean, my, my audience is probably sick of me telling my story over and over again. Cause I, <laughs> my, I always go, and when I was divorced and I hit rock bottom, that's because that was the, like, you know, kind of what you were calling the bad stuff that motivated me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was interesting that you were talking about the hormones that get released. I actually think it's both. I think adversity pushes us to change, but I also think a complete like corrective experience, a high can also leap us into something different. So it's both the cortisol and the dopamine. I think they can really, you know, they're both drugs. They both motivate us. Um, you know, I was working with this client and, you know, she, again, she was in this like total rut and pattern. And again, she was creating this thing over and over again. And she had such this negative, um, like outlook on dating and money and, and all of it that she, she was going to give up and became almost like that victim mentality. And, um, what I had her do was do something different that she's never done before. And I had her go to a, the same meeting that she's gone to every single Tuesday. It was this political meeting that she just saw it as work. And I told her to get all dolled up, get dressed in her party dress, put on a smile and not talk about work and actually get to know people as people and just see what happens. And she thought I was nuts. I said, look, you paid me all this money. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so she's like, okay. So she went to this party and do you know, like three guys asked her out and it's the same guy she's seen every Tuesday, mind you. It wasn't like new guys showed up. And she made a new friend who became a great wing gal for her. So she was able to go out and she was amazed. She's like, Kim, I've seen these people. I can't tell you years. And for the first time I saw them different. It was like putting on a different pair of glasses. So I believe that experience then became a, a honing device or reference to create something positive mm. for the next party and the mm. next party. So I think it's both. I think it's, you know, we, we move away from something or we move towards something. 
I don't know. What do you think? So what I'm hearing you say is it's not just the brain avoiding cortisol or negative experiences, but a positive experience triggered by dopamine will indicate a pattern that we wish to repeat. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I, I think, I think that's the brain's way of saying this is, this helps me survive. This helps me procreate. So keep mm-hmm. doing more of that. It's like, I like this. I want more. <laughs> I want so, more. Kim, well, yeah. I, forgive me for flipping the interview and putting you on the spot, but, but oh, I also, we go. I'm used to it. <laughs> well, I also know that, that that can create negative patterns, right? I mean, yeah. for, for example, true food, for example. Yes. A, like a pleasurable experience with food mm-hmm. can create an addiction if that is if that's continued to be nurtured. You eat the same foods, they may not be good for us, and right. but it's giving the brain what it wants, which is that survival, you know, kick. So when do you differentiate the difference between a healthy positive experience and an unhealthy positive experience? Yeah, that's the key. And this is what I tell clients all the time. I call it the pendulum effect because sometimes like, you know, you'll be in in one place and we know it's bad. Maybe it's that avoidance or we're running from something. So we go all the way to the other extreme and we go towards the pleasure, but then we do it in extreme and that's when it becomes the addiction. So I say, this is a time of recalibration. Sometimes you have to experience both, but then you have to do it where you fall somewhere in the middle. It's all about balance, right? It's, I, I think that's just life. You know, Anything that you do in excess where it becomes obsessive or you can't live without it or you feel like unfulfilled without it isn't healthy. So I think it's good to test the waters, to do new experiences and create balance. That's why I'm really big on, you know, when I look at people's lives is creating almost like a holistic view of their life. Like I don't want to just focus on dating. I don't want to just focus on your career and money. I want to look at all of it so that there's more balance because Believe me, when I have people map out their life, a lot of times it's imbalanced. It's like heavy in one place. And sometimes that's, a, that's the addiction, right? So they get like addicted to work. I see this all the time. I have all these successful women, you know, coming to me. They're successful in business, but not in love. But they are so busy being busy that it keeps them safe from maybe the rejection of love, mm. right? So it's, it is a dance, but it's all about balance. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I love this conversation and I feel like we could talk about it forever, but I, I did want to like hear about like you and just, because you are so successful and like you really broke kind of the barrier from where you were to like, I mean, you really soared, but did you ever want to quit? Like, and how did you like get over that? Yesterday. Really? Yes. Get out of here. Yeah. I, what happened? I want to quit all the time. I, I, so good to hear. I want to quit all the time. Um, and it's so interesting. As soon as I'm really honest about how I feel, I feel free from it. Um, for example, mm. Yet yesterday I was in the office and I was going to record a podcast and the thought came up of like, 
man, I don't feel like I have anything valuable to share. I don't feel like anybody has any, I don't have, I don't have anything that would make an impact in somebody's life. And so I fired up the pod, the, the recorder and said exactly that. And then I was in flow. And you wouldn't believe the feedback that I get when I just operate from that place. Um, I, I gave a keynote in Eastern Europe a few weeks ago and the, the, like, the internal demons came up. We've all got them, by the way, every single one of us. If you are growing, you are going to experience demons. It's you mean if you're a millionaire, you still experience these things? I posted a video <laughs> yesterday called, and I quote, I'm a millionaire and I still feel like this. Oh my and God, was, see? <laughs> there you go. Wow. So, so and, it, and it was me talking about how I felt as though I didn't have anything valuable to add to the world. I'm, uh, I, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. We've all got it. You know, I, I have a theory that one of the loneliest people on the planet is Elon Musk. Mm. And, and, and it, it is, it, it, there is a double-edged sword to, I think he has experienced such deep pain that it is on the other side of that, that he is able to create um, uh, just amazing things and think the way that he does. I don't know that you can have one without the other. If there is, mm -hmm. you can tell me and, and um, I will pay you lots of money. But, but, but I'm currently operating under the, the belief that it, it, is, it is two sides of the same coin. And if you listen mm -hmm. to somebody like Elon talk, he will talk about relationship challenges. He will talk about feelings of doubt. He will talk about the worry of rejection. And the difference is the courage to, to keep moving forward or not. I, I brought up, I brought up uh, one of my mentors, Dan Sullivan. I'll quote him again in, in which he says, you know, there are, there are, there's courage and there's confidence. And most people will say that they'll wait for the confidence to show up until they go and show courage. The difference between the two is courage feels great. I'm sorry, confidence feels great. Courage is scary as heck. The, mm. the, the thing is though, you get confidence as a result of going through a period of courage. And uh, that's yes. that how we grow. You don't get one without the other. So I, of course I experience times when I want to quit because that means I'm growing. If I'm not growing, I would never want to quit because there would, I would be very comfortable. But if you're going to grow, you are going to have to create those new patterns. And that never feels good. It, mm -hmm. It's sometimes exciting. Sometimes it's exciting followed by fear. But yes. it, it never happens without some sort of what one of my coaches has called the gremlins coming up in your brain and saying, you're never going to do it. Don't do this. This is not safe. And that's a sign that there's progress happening. I say to my clients all the time, you have to get uncomfortable if you want to change. If you're comfortable, you're not changing. So it's so, so true. So like for you to get past that feeling of you know, not just quitting is having courage, which kind of thrusts you into getting exposed to something different that shakes it up a little bit. Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah, it's usually, it's usually how I will kick it off and then mm -hmm. I sustain it through mentors and relationships. So, oh, yeah, that's good. so our, 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 our brains again are normalizing machines and the way that it synthesizes information is through 
what we put into our brain, like listening to podcasts, listening to conversations, reading books, listening to, to videos. And then the other side is who we hang out with. Your, your brain will take the thoughts going around and assimilate them into what it thinks is normal. So if you want to be a millionaire, go hang out with successful people and listen to those conversations and you will, your brain will find more reasons to reinforce what, it's in, what it thinks is normal. If you hang out with a lot of poor people, you will just hear all the reasons why making money is hard and why rich people are evil. And you can find evidence for either. It's just a matter yeah. of, of what you choose to believe and what decisions you decide to make. And in today's world, the beauty is you can fire up a podcast and listen to conversations like this, and it'd be one checkbox in mm -hmm. the, the file for abundance. And we can go down the list of a variety of different ways where we can get that information to put into the side that we want to change. Oh, that's so, so good. I love that. You know, it's true too. And just to also tie it in to dating for what you're saying, you know, I can't tell you how many people come to me and they don't have a good set of wing gals or guys, <laughs> right? Like I'm like as nice as the married folk are and look, you, you all are lovely people, nothing wrong with it. It's just that you don't get it and it's a different energy. And so if you want to create abundance in your dating life, hang out with other positive wing gals and girls, you know, so that you attract, you become magnets together, you know, sitting in a corner of a bar with a bunch of Debbie Downers, no guy is going to approach you. Like that's, that's just not going to happen. So, um, yeah, the, the mentors, the relationships, the support is so, so important. I want to give you a, a piece of advice in that context that someone gave to me that I'll never forget. Oh yeah. And it was, I, I, was, I was at an event, it was actually a, a, a business event, and I was going through a breakup. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and this, is the, this is the gal from IU. And, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. I wonder if I know her. Uh, well, we can compare <laughs> notes younger. later. But, yeah. but I, I, was, I was just coming off a breakup, and I'm just heartbroken at this point, right? Like, I, I just, uh, it, didn't, it didn't go the way I expected it to, and I'm, hanging out with this buddy of mine and he's a super casual dude. And he's like, Ryan, <laughs> he's like, Ryan, I don't get it, man. You've got such an abundance mentality when it comes to money. Why do you have such a scarcity mindset when it comes to relationships? Ah, he's bam. Like, he's like, there's money and opportunity everywhere. There's relationships and opportunity everywhere. Why can't you realize that there's an abundance mentality in relationships just like there is with money? And it completely warped my brain because I realized that I had been looking at the world through a, a lens that I said I believed, but I wasn't really operating in. And what I have found in, 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 in my experience is that the difference between do you view the world as a fixed amount or do you view the world as an ever-growing pie mm. affects the way that you view, you view everything. If you think that there's a fixed pie and someone else having money threatens your ability to have money, of course you are going to hate rich people and, and, and resent a small amount of people that you think is controlling all of the world's wealth. Mm -hmm. And if you think that there's an expanding pie, if you think that the world is getting better, if you think that there's an abundant amount, 
then you're just happy for people when they get theirs and you get yours. And you're like, hey, can you show me how you did that? And you'll want to learn from them. And the same is true with relationships. If, if you think that all the good ones are taken, how do you think you're going to operate? And if you think that, that there's amazing people everywhere and that everyone has an interesting story, you'll get really curious and people will be really curious about you. So that mentality of is there a scarce amount or is there an ever expanding amount, I think it might be the most fundamental belief in how we make our decisions and how we view the world. Oh, amen. I feel like <laughs> I have nothing more to say. <laughs> Perfect. No, that is so good. So ladies, when you're swiping through Bumble and Tinder and you say there's no good men out there, guess what? There isn't. If you have an abundant, keep swiping right, you're going to find them, right? And, and so, yeah, I just want to recap because you gave some really juicy tips throughout this whole interview. And I, I always like to just kind of highlight the things you said in order to create this abundant mindset. I mean, the first thing is so true. Our past projects the future and you have to create new experiences by doing different things. It's a pattern disruption so that the brain, it's like, I always say it's like a snow a snow globe almost, you know, like when, when you're used to the glitter on, on the bottom, you got to shake it up and, and see the magic that happens. Mm. The second thing you said is really like put yourself into action. So you may have like a fundamental understanding. Maybe you're listening to podcasts or you have an assemblance of what you need to do, but nothing is going to happen until you actually do the things that create that new experience. Then you talked about how to operate from the flow, which I just love. And in really like that, that Facebook live thing that you did that you talked about that was just hot off the press, it, it really was so authentic. And I think that authenticity is courage, you know, and when you come from that place of courage and you, you shake it up and it may be uncomfortable, but that's how you do get to the other side. And finally, having mentors and relationships, the support, that is huge. So you can do all these things, but if you're alone in it, it, you know, it, it can really be hard. So Ryan, thank you so, so much for coming on. Is there any like last words of wisdom that you wanted to share and how people can find you? Oh, Kim, I so admire what you're doing in the world. So thank you for including me as part of it. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Ryan Daniel Moran. My website is capitalism.com. And uh, I put up videos on YouTube almost daily. I'm uh, nice. just my name, Ryan Moran. Awesome. Thanks again so, so much. And this has been the Charisma Quotient. I am your host, Kim Seltzer. And remember, you can build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. And make sure that you check out my new private Facebook group. It's called the Love Makeover Insiders, where you will get a ton of support and mentorship so that you can really you know, create new patterns in your love life. And stay tuned until next week with more tips and how to feel and look fabulous every day. Bye.